0: The following is a message by Dr. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. The text for us to consider this morning is Malachi, the last chapter of the Old Testament, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming. That day shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Just to put this passage in context uh, with the rest of Malachi, Zerubbabel, the first governor With Haggai and Zechariah, rebuild the temple in 515 BC. Ezra returned with more exiles in 458. Nehemiah returned and led the rebuilding of the city, particularly its walls. Sacrifices were renewed. And then in the middle of this project, Malachi steps in, taking the spiritual lead. But the stability under a kinder, gentler overseer, the Persian Empire didn't necessarily lead to greater faithfulness. It led to laziness on the part of Israel, and the threat now isn't the nations, but the integrity of the covenant community itself. The list of transgressions begins with a returning exiles' sense of ambiguity about their election. Remarkably, the, the oracle begins with the assurance, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Malachi is filled with these rhetorical questions. Uh, Yahweh replies by reminding them that he set his electing love on Jacob, rejecting Esau, and he has shown himself to be Israel's redeemer and the judge of the wicked throughout Israel's history. He will do so again. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the border of Israel. The Lord, even Israel's Lord, is the sovereign over all nations. But as a result of their ambiguity about their status before God, their covenantal status as God's chosen people, the returning exiles are indicted for disregarding the covenant code, one six, intermarrying with unbelievers, two eleven, rampant divorce, two sixteen, as well as sorcery, adultery, perjury, fraud, oppression, and injustice. Quite a list. They even offer blemished animals in sacrifice. That's how careless they are. And so Israel is threatening to to lose uh, any resemblance of that light to the Gentiles that is, is pointing a finger to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They withhold their proper tithe, 3 8. So the whole purpose of the theocracy is being thwarted by Israel's disobedience. Zechariah called the people to repentance, but there is still no covenant faithfulness in the land. They have wearied the Lord with their words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? And so Israel's just full of indictments against the covenant Lord. Israel is putting Yahweh on trial instead of realizing that Israel is on trial. Israel is the one put in the dock. How have you loved us? Where is the God of justice? Why do bad things happen to good people? But the answer is the same as in Isaiah 59 when the people put God on trial and God turns the tables and puts Israel on trial and he says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Nor his ears filled with wax, so they cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from your God, so that He will not hear you. He will not answer you. At this point, the Sinai covenant's hardly the basis for Israel 's hope. Uh, it's the reason they were exiled, their, their covenant breaking is the reason they were exiled. And now that they return to the land and even renew the sacrifices and rebuild the temple, they are still breaking that covenant. As we see throughout the prophets, Yahweh's restraint of his wrath is there only because of the inviolability of the Abrahamic promise. God cannot change his eternal purpose. We read in chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O descendants of Jacob, you are not destroyed. One of my favorite lines. My immutability... The, the sovereignty of my purpose is the only thing standing between you and total annihilation. Because I will be faithful despite your unfaithfulness. You are not consumed. Otherwise, by now, you certainly would have been turned to ash. The only hope that Israel has at this stage in its history then is that the Lord himself will descend. Again, similar to Isaiah 59. The Lord himself Will arm himself with vengeance and with righteousness. He will descend. He will deliver his people. He will judge and he will save. And his way will be prepared by a messenger, as we read in chapter 3, verse 1. So God will send his messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And so another parallel to Isaiah, in this case Isaiah 43, 40 verse 3, uh, which tells of The voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then we come upon the book of remembrance in the passage just before the one I read. uh, A remnant included in the book of life, not only judgment between Israel and the nations, but within the nation itself will come as a remnant is spared those who are included in the book of remembrance. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. First of all, he says uh, in chapter 4, for behold, and this is an indication that this is so certain that he can speak of it as if it were palpable, as if it were in front of them, as if it were... A, a current event. The day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. They will be set ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. We're reminded of Isaiah 5, two centuries earlier, before the exile, now it's after the exile, of course, the, the same message, you who long for the day of the Lord, you know, oh, won't that be great? Ah, oh, wish, wish he'd come back, wish he'd return. Can't wait for the day of the Lord. Can't wait for the Messiah to to, to come back. And uh, God says through through Amos, Are you sure? (laughs) Really? Uh, I think it's from the frying pan into the fire. Do you really have any idea what that great day of the Lord entails? And so now, after the exile, there's still judgment. But again, not the judgment they're expecting the judgment of the nations, but the judgment of Israel itself. But then he turns to the good news. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Those who fear my name, those who acknowledge me as what I am, their rightful suzerain. For them the sun will rise. And again, I can't help but go back to Isaiah, only now the next chapter, Isaiah 60 That wonderful picture of a sunrise where Israel lying in darkness will see a great light and the nations will stream into that light. Light, righteousness, and healing are prophesied when the sun rises. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act Not when you act, but on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. It's still obviously the era of Moses and the Sinai covenant. In fact, he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. That era is not over. The old covenant is not suspended. Israel is still uh, under that schoolmaster leading them to Christ. The abiding validity of the Mosaic Covenant is evident in the threatenings of the curse, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so even in the physical land of Israel, there is this recognition that the exile is not really over and Israel is still on probation. Uh, It's interesting that that, that Jews, even to this day, uh, from the time of uh, the author of 1 Maccabees to Josephus to the present day, acknowledge that prophecy ceased in Israel at about this time. And so this is where the tradition of the elders arises, based on Ezra. Uh, It's the the scribes uh, who will then yield the Pharisees, uh, who are interpreters of prophecy. Only when Messiah comes will there be a renewed era of prophecy. Finally, we turn to the fulfillment, which is easy to find. <laughs> this is one of those, uh, those easy tasks to interpret the New Testament fulfillment of uh, Malachi 4. In Matthew 3, of course, John the Baptist uh, is said explicitly to have fulfilled these prophecies, especially the prophecy Of Isaiah 40 verse 3 repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he announces but when the Pharisees and Sadducees come to him for baptism uh, instead of sort of putting up a tent and saying oh great y'all come right on in he says you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. So John the Baptist really is the one preparing the way of the Lord, executing that same sentence that God decreed through Malachi. And it's a root and branch judgment. Not just the leaves, not just the branches, but the roots will be pulled up. You think of Jesus' action in his last week on the Temple Mount when he cursed the fig tree and said, may no one eat from your fruit again. But John already says, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So root and branch judgment with the one coming after me, he says, who will baptize with the spirit and with fire, both deliverance and judgment. Mark's version cites Malachi 3.1 explicitly. And then in John's version, we have a sort of confluence of all of these images. The word appeared, the son of righteousness rose. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he introduces John's ministry. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So all the prophets are, uh, are the moon. Jesus is the sun. They reflect back the light like the reflectors on the road. But Jesus himself illumines everyone. Calvin says on this passage, We indeed know how obscure was the doctrine of the law, so that it may be truly said to be shadowy. When therefore the heavens became at length opened and clear by means of the gospel, it was through the rising of the sun which brought the full day. We think of uh, Paul's statement in Ephesians 5.14, Awake, you who sleep. And rise from darkness, for Christ shall shine upon you. This is one event in two stages. The light has dawned regardless of the response. Outsiders are made insiders and insiders are made outsiders. The kingdom has now come. It has been inaugurated. The strong man is being bound. There is leaping and dancing. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus contrasts his ministry with John's ministry uh, in terms of Something close to leaping and dancing. To what can I compare this generation? You don't like John the Baptist's dour demeanor. You say he has a demon. All that talk of repentance and the law and judgment. And the son of man came eating and drinking and you say a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax gatherers and sinners. And yet, when the bridegroom comes, what can the guests do, but leap and dance like calves from the stall. And with respect to treading down the wicked like ashes under the soles of their feet, Luke 10 reports the return of the 70 who said, breathlessly, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The book of remembrance. What could be greater than to know, even now, that our names are recorded in the book of remembrance? Far greater even. Than authority over the powers and principalities of darkness. But where is the fullness of this kingdom? And that's exactly what John the Baptist asks later on when he's sitting in prison waiting to be beheaded, and he sends his messengers to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? (laughs) We don't quite see everything that we expected from the prophets because It was one event, to be sure, but in two phases. First grace, then glory. And John the Baptist seems to have expected it all at once. Jesus replied, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me is what my kingdom is, and I hope it doesn't cause an offense. Go back and tell John. As great as John was, as the last Old Covenant prophet, Jesus said, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John's ministry was sweeping Israel into one heap, condemned along with the rest of the world in Adam, while Jesus, the bridegroom, has arrived to celebrate the feast, and to call a remnant first from Israel and then from the nations. To this day, Jewish scholars believe that Jesus can't have been the Messiah because he didn't bring all of this about. He, 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 didn't, he, he didn't accomplish that widespread deliverance that was prophesied in the prophets, but Jesus himself declared in his Olivet Discourse that this one event of his coming will take the form of two advents. First, he comes in grace. And then, after the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to all nations, the end will come. Then, after the the calves are released from the stalls, leaping and dancing, and after the scorpions have uh, uh, been, been uh, tread upon, as the gospel has gone forth, he will separate not only... Israel from the nations, but he will separate even within the covenant community, the sheep from the goats. The book of remembrance will be opened, and Jesus says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. And so that's where we are, Uh, a far better, grander place than the exiles in Malachi chapter 4. We're living in that era between Christ's two advents when he's gathering guests for his feast, when he is trampling the head of Satan and his minions by the proclamation of the gospel. In this productive delay, Christ is giving repentance and faith to Jews and Gentiles who now form his end-time sanctuary made without hands. And one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for revealing your Son in promise and fulfillment from these pages. We thank you that he is the Son, and even now we are moons, we are reflectors, merely Receiving and casting back that light which He is. Help us, Father, to be lights set up on a hill, testifying to His victory over sin and death until He comes again to judge the living and the dead. May we be found in that book of remembrance and recall all those scattered abroad who have yet to hear that great good news and. Find their names written there as well, for we pray in Christ's name. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.